been much appreciated this morning. If you are missing Pastor Bob and Pastor Nikki, they're on vacation. You're stuck with me. I hope they're having a wonderful time. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight for him, with him, for you are just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag and in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, "'Am I a dog?' that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I'll give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear,
For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew near to to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell down on the ground. Let's pray. Bless, O oh Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O oh Lord, our rock, our only strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Dr. Raj Humanthan in Psychology Today has an article entitled, How Negative Is Your Mental Chatter? He studied a group of business school students, and these students, he believed, reported a very positive kind of chatter about their lives 60 to 75% of the time. They were just kind of positive people. But he wondered what was going on in the back of their minds. And so he invited them for two weeks to record everything that went through their minds. When they took the material and began to review it, what they found was very different than what they expected. 60 to 70% of their internal mental chatter was negative. It revealed that there were categories in our lives that this mental chatter falls into. And the first one is that we are inferior to others by comparison. I don't measure up to the kind of person you are. Ever thought that one? The second category says that the thought that I am not particularly special and therefore not worthy of being loved as precious and valued. No one's ever really, really going to love me. The third category relates in some ways to control or what is it that is valuable about me and I would love to offer to others, but I'm just not special enough for anybody to hear me out and to value what I've got to offer. Each of these categories of mental chatter is rooted in goals and values that we have often very blindly ascribed to. For example, most of us were brought up to be successful, to excel in life, and as a result, we are habitually comparing ourselves to others and whether or not we've made it. 
We are also persuaded to believe that the secret to our happiness is gonna be the moment in time where we've got things kind of under control. That if we could just arrange the world according to our preferences, then we would be happier and healthier and wealthier. Well, what we think and believe about ourselves and the world is much more powerful than we ever imagined. Our filters, what's going on in our mind may be part of the problem. It's that mental chatter, and I would invite you to hear the mental chatter going on in our text this morning. It's really informative. Saul's army have gathered on one side of the dried stream, the wadi. And the Philistines and Goliath have camped on the other side. And it's interesting, they've been talking trash talk for about 40 days. And nobody's moved. The Philistines are a culture comprised mostly of mercenaries. They have wreaked havoc from Syria to Egypt. They are feared and dreaded, and so they just like to sit there and watch you sweat. The Israelites are quaking in their boots. And here comes David, a little guy. And there stands Goliath, expected to be about nine foot nine, a big dude, wearing armor, weighing between 125 and 250 pounds. No wonder David couldn't move. Do you hear the chatter? David, I mean, excuse me, Goliath stands near the stream on his sides and roars out to the Israelites, why have you come out to draw up for a battle? Basically, he's saying, are you nuts? Can't you see that you're outmanned and outnumbered? His mental chatter makes him into a big bad dude, and he basically says, come on, if you'd like. If you think you're man enough to take me, just come on. Because if I kill you, then you're my slaves. And if you kill me, ha, 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 you'll be, I'll be yours. Goliath then invites them to begin this battle, but he calls on an ancient code of single combat. In other words, why put all the armies through it and all the bloodshed that comes with a great big battle? Let's just do it, the two of us. Let's get this thing over with. For 40 days, he has stood there on his side, twice a day, hollering for the fight to begin, and something happens on day 41 when David hears it. David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, the shepherd who's out looking after the flocks in the fields, has been sent to the army to feed his three oldest brothers. When he hears it and he notices everybody on his side of the war quaking in their boots, he says, well, I'll take him. 
Notice his brother's chatter. If we aren't enough to take him. Shrimp, what makes you think you can? They pester him long enough that he gets over to Saul and they says, well, just let Saul deal with him. And Saul looks at him and says, shrimp. And it's through David's pestering that he finally says, well, all right, go get him, but I'm going to dress you first. It's in his dressing that poor David can't move. But David's chatter, his internal voice is very different. Immediately upon hearing and seeing the giant, David basically says, let me at him. And even though he's a shrimp by expectation of everyone else, he is a child of God. And David's ability to fight is not because of his size, of his audacity, of his strength, or his age. David's been keeping sheep, and the Lord has been with him. And that, when a bear or a lion comes along, the Lord has allowed him to take it by the jaw and be rid of it. Why wouldn't God do the same with the Philistine? Do you hear the chatter? Saul and the army on one side, wringing their hands and sweating. David's brothers saying, if you aren't enough, then David's not enough either. The Philistines sit around and saying, well, we're all that in a bag of chips, and they're counting on their history and not on the present. The chatter is what's in the way. Only David's is different. He understands that this universe, this world of ours, was never designed for the comfort of human beings in mind. Frustration is deeply woven into the fabric of life, and for him, that's no big hairy thing. Because his inner harmony, his inner chatter, is what is in control of his life. The forces of the universe are simply to be understood and dealt with in God's time and in God's way. David has invested his life in God's plan, and because of his alignment... His ability to say, God made me, God has a plan for me, let God do God's work in me and through me. He believes that he has the power even of a pipsqueak. How do we get the power of a pipsqueak? First, I think we have to figure out and be aware of our disintegration. We have to be aware of ourselves and how disconnected we are between what we believe as people of faith and how we actually live. What is most notable is that David's mental chatter isn't about himself at all. It's about God. God. 
since he defies the armies of the living God, then Goliath has to be taken care of. The Lord who saved is going to allow this. Saul's mental chatter says not so much. Now he's a person of faith. He's leading the people of Israel. And so when he looks at David and says, go ahead, he goes, but just in case, just in case this isn't real, let me dress you. Let me put the armor on, just in case. That's when David must throw it off and he picks up his five smooth stones and walks out fearless. Hans Rosling has written a book called Factfulness. And it basically is about the mental chatter that we have of this world. And he offers a little world test. So let's take it. I'm not asking for, for show of hands, okay? But I, I think I missed about 80%. Question one. In all low-income countries around the world, low-income countries around the world, how many girls finish primary school? 20%, 40%, 60%. Got a guess? It's 60%. Aren't you amazed? Where does the majority of the world's population live? The majority. In low-income countries, middle-income countries, or high-income countries? I said low. It's middle. In the last 20 years, the proportion of the world's population living in poverty has doubled remained about the same, or halved. I said doubled. It's halved. It's halved. Did you know? There are two billion children in the world today, ages zero to 15. How many will there be in 2100? Four billion, three billion, two billion. I said four. It's two. How can that be? That's because the population would have doubled because there are more 15 to 75-year-olds, not more children. Duh. <laughs> Has the number of deaths due to natural disasters doubled, remained the same, or decreased to less than half? Natural disasters. Doubled, remained the same, or decreased? It's decreased. How many people in the world have access to electricity? At least some electricity. 20, 50, or 80? It's 80. Rosling uh, suggests that we have an overdramatic worldview or mental chatter that says my experience over decades of lecturing, testing, and listening to the ways people misinterpret the facts, even when they're in front of us and accessible, 
is because we bring an overdramatic worldview difficult to shift because it's how our brains work. Our brains will interpret the facts differently even though they're in print. Example. Which line's longer? They're all the same. But your, it's not your eyes. Your brain is telling you that the arrow doing this and the arrow doing this is longer. It's an optical illusion that would convince you that you're wrong. In essence, Rosling invites us to become curious. Why do we so systematically misinterpret the world and ourselves? He suggests that if we began to recognize our overdramatic stories and develop the tools to calm our instincts, then we'd make better decisions. We'd stay alert to what the real dangers are and the real possibilities. And we would avoid being constantly stressed by all the wrong things. David's approach is the best one. His chatter is that there's always a way with God when there appears to be no way forward and the data doesn't look good. David's speech to Saul and his brothers is meant to teach them that his strength is not only practical and spiritual, but it's real. When he gets ready to take on Goliath, it's not based on anything other than his courage and his confidence in God. With one excellent shot, a giant is brought to his knees. If you're reading today's gospel lesson along with our scripture from the Old Testament, you discover the story in Mark about Jesus being in the boat with the disciples. They've gone out on the water at night. A storm arises and the boat's being tossed all about and water's being thrown in and Jesus is sleeping. I've always found that humorous. How did he do that? I who lives a green life on water. He's asleep and calm. And the disciples go and shake him and say, aren't you afraid we're going to perish? And Jesus says to them, now this is after feeding of 5,000. This is after blind have been restored. This is after lame have been walking and women have been healed. And all of a sudden he says, don't you get it? Where's your inner chatter? Are you not people who can integrate your faith? Jesus is made real to us and to others when our trust and relationship is with God. 
when our confidence is in Jesus, it is incomparably more important to know this Lord than it is to know about him. One of the books that we're looking at for a fall study is called The Wesley Challenge. 21 Days to a More Authentic Faith. You know, Wesley used to have accountability groups, and those small groups would meet weekly, and they would go through the 21 questions to ask how each of their spirits was doing. And the first one, the author believes, is the most important. Wesley's question is, is Jesus real to me? Jesus must be real to us in a way that Jesus is tangibly seen by others through our words, our actions, our disciplines, our practices. There's got to be a tangible trail of evidence that we leave everywhere we go that helps people find what we have a genuine, sustainable, life-filling chatter with Jesus the Christ. To put it more plainly, when we know Jesus, we can walk the talk. Imagine, if you would, a room full of peep squeaks whose mental chatter is turned upward and who are making Christ real as they live. Mark Batterson, in his book, Chase the Lion, the subtitle is, if, you dream, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. Batterson looks at scripture and says, our eyes glass over when we read genealogies. In fact, if you really began at the beginning of our Samuel lesson this morning, you'd feel, you'd read a genealogy you can't pronounce. That's what the scriptures do. But that genealogy also creates a storyline, does it not? The names list a cast of characters. And in this story, in Samuel's record of Saul and David and Goliath, there's a history that goes all the way back to David as a kid, to David who is called to slay a giant, to David who is then called to be a king. And do you remember what he does when he's a king? He looks at another man's wife, takes Bathsheba for his own, kills her husband Uriah the Hittite by putting him in the front of the army and still bears Solomon the king and wise one. This genealogy has a mess of circumstances in it. And yet God is able to beget out of this line of history, 42 generations later, a Messiah named Jesus the Christ. Now just let your mental chatter check that out. How could God take a peep squeak of a kid 
making a singing shepherd of him, turning him into a warrior, a king, and watching him be a sinner, turned father of the man who would build the temple of Israel, turned great, 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 great grandsomething, generation's grandfather of the one who would become the savior of the world. Now that's some chatter worth listening to. If God can do that with a pipsqueak, imagine what God could do with you and with me. Imagine if God could change our chatter, focus us upward, walking the talk, you and me, us, we sinners, in the midst of our heartbreak, in the midst of our mess and our madness, what could God do? Let that be your chatter. God's grace always uplifts and wins, no matter what we think. God is still begetting pipsqueaks with the hope of changing the world. Thanks be to God. It includes you and me. Amen.